Mic check, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, welcome to the Grit Podcast. It is January 5th, 2019, New Year. I have been sick for weeks. I have been out with strep throat. I had to cancel two guests and had to put replay of prior episodes on. And I'm sorry about that. And I am uh, back today with a new guest. Uh, it's going to be via phone. It's going to be a, um, a friend of Joanna. Uh, I had her in the episode, uh, Joanna, World Traveler and Superhero. Uh, this is a good friend of hers named Leah. We're going to call her on the phone here in a second and uh, talk with her about some uh, pretty interesting things. I'm really excited to kind of be back in the loop. Um, I was, I haven't been that sick in a long time. I was down. I couldn't talk. You know, it hurt to swallow. My eyes were matted shut. Uh, I thought I was dying. It was bad. Uh, you know, I'm, when you don't get sick that much, you kind of over-exaggerate. And, uh, I did. I did over-exaggerate. And so, um, yeah, happy to be back. Hope everybody had a good new year and a good Merry Christmas. Um, I don't do New Year's resolutions. Um, I just try to just make sure that I'm always doing what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, and make sure I'm living life on my terms and nobody else's terms. I'm not giving in to society's pressures and um, you know stigmas, whatever. The world has going on. I try not to give into that and make sure I'm always being true to myself and make sure I'm always um, focusing on my dreams and my goals and my family's dreams and goals. And that's number one priority and everything else falls to the wayside. Everybody else can kiss my ass. I'm just kidding. Um, so that's really it. So I really don't have, like I said, New Year's resolution. I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm not going to be able to do the uh, pod or the uh, podcast playlist shuffle with my guest so I'm gonna go ahead and do it right now with me and uh, I'm gonna put myself on blast and uh, let's see what I come up with here I'm gonna go to one of my playlists and uh, hit shuffle here we go oh classic song douchebag of an artist <laughs> but you can't take it away from Kanye he did do a lot of great work put out a lot of good music but uh, his behavior here recently has been very suspect very questionable uh, I can't support it can't support can't support him but we're going to listen to this hot song for a second I'm glad nothing silly came on. Something cool. But she believe in shoes and cars. Wood floors in the new apartment. Couture from the store's departments. You more like a love to start shit. I'm more of the trips to Florida. Order the orders, views of the water. Straight from a page of your favorite author. And the weather's so breezy Man, why can't life always be this easy? She in the mirror dancing so sleazy I get a call like, where are you, Yeezy?
Kanye had like a really hot streak for a while. I think his music's even suffering now. I don't know what's gotten to him. What's gotten into him. But whatever, whatever. We hardly talk, I was doing my thing I know what was fair, baby, baby, baby Lately, you've been all on my brain And if somebody would have told me a month ago Front and oh, yo, I wouldn't want to know If somebody would have told me a year ago It'd go get this difficult Feeling like Katrina with no FEMA Like Martin with no Gina Like a flight with no visa Alright, alright, I'll let that rock for a second it's a really good song. Um, I feel like last year we had a hell of a lot of the music released, and I didn't get to listen to a lot of it. And I'm hoping that this year is different, and I hope that people focus on quality over quantity, because I feel like people were just dropping music left and right, and. Um, I'd have to say, in my opinion, the quality was lacking. And if anybody knows me, you know my beef with music is that it all sounds the same. And I don't think anybody's taking any time to really be artistic and express themselves. I feel like people are expressing, uh, or at least it sounds like they're attempting to express themselves using other people's artistic styles. And I think that's weird. I, I think I want to hear from you. I want to hear who you are as an artist. I want to hear what you sound like i want to hear what your sound is i don't want to hear you rapping over somebody else's style or beats or whatever so that's my music beef i'm gonna go ahead and uh text our guest here and see if um she's ready to go Just a minute. Real talk. Usher. Just blaze. Mic check. Mic check, mic check. Sorry about that. I had to make sure uh, everything was working properly. You have to let this track right. This is another good track. This is Usher. should be good all right here we go she's ready she's ready to go let's uh make sure this works 
probably got audio. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going good. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yes. How oh, about you? I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, perfect. I'm on a um, different setup right now because we had um, in-laws in town and they were in the room. It's technically the guest room that I used to have guests in. Um, well, guests for the podcast. And uh, that room, we still have to clean it up and I got to put all my equipment back in there. So in the meantime, you'll see when you see the video, um, I'm in my office. Okay, and gotcha. I'm using a um, different uh, computer setup here. So I okay. I'm trying to make sure everything uh, is working. And I believe that it is. And you can well, I trust you because I don't know how any of that works. So <laughs> yeah, all you got to do is just pick <laughs> up the phone. <laughs> thousand miles away. So <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and either where, we're good or we're not, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and where are you at again? Um, I'm in. I'm back in Chicago now. Back in Chicago. So that's where I'm living now. Uh huh. In Chi Town. Yep. Okay. I think we got it all set up here. So let's uh, just go ahead and dig in. Um, <laughs> I've I've been talking for a bit. Um, kind of just getting people, um, warmed up. Um, okay. and I was talking briefly about, um, how I got in contact with you and, uh, I was telling them it was through Joanna, uh, who's a friend of mine and, uh, went to grade school with, and, um, how do you know Joanna? Um, so we met in Columbus, Ohio. I did my, um, master's degree at Ohio state. And okay. so I met... Yeah, so I met her when I was living there. Okay, and you guys yeah. just kind of bonded. Yeah, she's spent a lot, you know, a lot of time, um, a lot more than I have actually overseas, and um, I think that was a really big kind of bonding point for us. Just living in, I mean, we weren't even anywhere close to like she's been in the Middle East, and I've been mostly on the African continent, so not even the same location. But I think just had a lot of. Um, things in common, you yeah. know, from having lived and worked overseas. So yeah, yeah she's, okay. she's a really awesome person. So yeah, I called her a superhero in my podcast with her. I mean, I was a little, I was exaggerating a little bit <laughs> because she's, I mean, and you're probably doing some of the same stuff it sounds like, but you know, she was talking about how she travels so much and how she's putting herself in like these, uh, these environments and situations that a lot of people I think would be scared to put themselves in. Right. Um, just because just out of sheer, just, you know, unfamiliar with areas and territories and people I'm like, yeah, I'm not going there, you know? Sure. Sure. <laughs> you got like yeah. this little tiny like white girl who's right. like <laughs> just dumping herself <laughs> into that, 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 that environment. So that was, that was pretty cool to me. Yeah. 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 She definitely has had a lot of very interesting experiences. So, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, okay, so um, I, I'm just using your first name. I'm not sure if you're comfortable using your last name. I'm just saying Leah, right? You're, you're okay it, with Either that? way, it doesn't really matter, yeah. Okay, I try to help people maintain some privacy if they want to. Um, gotcha. Because we all know that <laughs> millions of people are listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the death threats may come pouring in. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you never know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it could it could go viral, and then tomorrow you're on CNN. I mean, with my last name just blasted all over the place. Yeah, I wouldn't want that. For, I wouldn't want that for you. We wouldn't want that. So no. better safe than sorry, right? Yeah. 
So what I like to do um, with each guest is just kind of um, let uh, in, kind of introduce you to the listener, and you tell them um, what you're comfortable telling them as far as like who you are, uh, your background, your ethnicity, where you're from, uh, just to kind of give them an idea of who they're listening to. Okay. So whatever you're comfortable, you know, uh, go ahead and, and tell them. Uh, you know, go ahead and do that if you can. Okay. Yeah, so as you said, my name is Leah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm living in Chicago currently, but um, spent, grew up and spent most of my life in a really small town in southern Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in a town of 500 people. Um, I always joke with some of my friends from overseas. I'm like, we really do have villages in the United States. I know we don't call them that, but that's really what they are. So I grew up in a in a little village. Um and spent my first 18 years there and then um, kind of was back and forth <clears throat> um, kind of in and out of that area for the next, I don't even know, 15 years, I guess. Okay. So mostly still in that southern Indiana region, not in that super small town where I grew up, but there's um, a city called Evansville that's about 120,000 people. Okay. Um, so that's where I, I live for much of my um like post-college and up until fairly recently, actually. Um, so very, very um, white area, very conservative, very Republican. Um, but meanwhile, um, kind of some of those in-between years, I, yeah, was involved in some humanitarian work, um, first starting off in Jamaica for a couple of summers and then spend about a year and a half in South Africa um, and a couple of other places. But South Africa was really the very life changing. Um, just How so, so I was there. Well, so I was there, let's see what year, 2006 to 2008. Okay. And apartheid only officially ended in 94. So this is what, 12 years after um, apartheid, you know, has, I always put it in quotes, quote, ended, unquote, right? Right. Um, and so just like observing all of the um, inequality and, I mean, just very visible, like most black folks living in these shanty towns with no, um, you know, sewage services, no running water, no um, trash services. And then, you know, like the white parts of town looking like any, you know, suburban area in the U.S. And so just seeing all of this um, inequality just really, um, I started to dig, you know, like what is apartheid and what am I seeing and how did this come to be? And then the more I dug into that, the more I started seeing all these very direct parallels um, to life in the United States and things that I had been given and that I had been taught an alternate understanding of growing up in the area that I grew up in, you know, I hadn't been taught about a lot of different racial things or I'd been taught a lie really. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it just kind of, um, I, I wouldn't say it started this process of learning that had already been started Um, when I, when I came to, um, college in Chicago, right after I 
graduated high school, I, I came to school in Chicago for two years. So that really started a lot of racial questions and me questioning my own racial identity. But that time in South Africa really um, was a huge turning point, I guess. And it took years. It took years to start to unpack and unravel and learn about apartheid and then learn about the U.S. So it was a very long process. Um, but that led me to um, finishing up a degree in international studies for my bachelor's and then a master's degree in African-American and African studies um, just a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of the quick version. And then okay. as far as this is a important point, I guess. So my, my, um, ethnic background, uh, my mom is Chinese and then my dad is kind of the, you know, smattering of <laughs> white, you know, Dutch, um, German, Scottish, English. I, and I like that you just did but... that, by the way, because uh, a lot of people say <clears throat> white, and I'm like, yeah, that's not really a thing. I mean, I know it, it is it is a thing, but it's, it's but it's kind... something that's been created. Yeah, it's it's make believe. Yeah. Like, no, no, like, no. What is your background? Like you just said, Dutch and, and you know Irish or whatever what you were saying. Um, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I grew up. Um, and that's that, that my, my racial identity and as a mixed person and also as a person of color, uh, you know, that's one of the hugest factors of my, st I mean, that plays into everything <laughs> in my life story, right? whether we wanted to or not, you know, it has. And so, um, yeah, yeah, so I guess I, that's I kind of a general all that too, by the way. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so there's kind of the background. <laughs> yeah, because I and, and for for that they don't know that um I spoke with you briefly before this. Uh, I think it was like the other week and we got to kind of discuss a lot of things and so there's a lot of things I want to go over with you. Yes. Um and ho <laughs> hopefully we can get to it if we can not maybe I can have you back on if we can't cover everything. I don't want to Yeah, this too we long. can We can definitely do that. Um, um yeah, I I got a question for you, though, just kind of um, not based on the notes here, just what, what you just said. When you were talking about apartheid in, um, in Africa and uh -huh. how it was what you were seeing, like, visually as far as how um, the Europeans were living and then the Africans were living. Right. Um, what you saw visually, did it look anything like what you see in the United States? Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> so let me start with the no. Okay. No in that right it's a it's a totally different Well, well, I'm sorry. Let me let me back that up. The the areas where the Europeans were living, yes, that could have been like I said any neighborhood any suburban neighborhood in the US. Okay. Um with the exception of like walls around the homes with barbed wire. <laughs> Okay. around the top of the walls. So, but, but other than that, it looked very similar, but the areas where black folks were living were very much just, you know, it's like, I guess like tin or I don't even know, just like materials people have gotten that they've, you know, hammered together to make, I mean, like little homes that leak. I don't even know if you, I mean, they are people's homes, so I want to call them homes, but they are structures that we would not consider livable in the States. You know, we would look at it and think it was somebody's shack. That's like, they're like tool shed behind their house. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Um, and so, so that those areas definitely looked different um, and like no sanitation services. So people have, you know, there's just garbage piled up. They're little like outhouses. So I wouldn't say, so that's where the no comes in. Okay. No, some of that didn't look the same, but <laughs> in general, if you take away some of those just um, particularities, yes. Like, like black folks living in this neighborhood and white folks living in this neighborhood and seeing that the black areas are not, you know, the parks look different or, or there are no parks or they're not maintained or the roads aren't maintained or, you know, so some of those, if you just like take the lens back, like wider, just yeah. a little bit. And yes. I mean, it looks very much like what things look like here in the States. And that's why I started having these kind of, you know, having my eyes opened to conditions in the U S and things <laughs> not being how I'd been taught, not coming in, into being in the way that I'd taught that it was, for instance, you know, folks used to try to say, well, the reason black folks live in this neighborhood is people just like to live with other people like them. <laughs> you know, that's how people would try to explain wow. segregation. I know, which sounds like ridiculous, but those were the kind of like, that was the kind of racial lens I was being taught to have growing up, <laughs> especially by, I mean, I know I mentioned that I, you know, my mother's Chinese, but my dad, um, which that this might go off on a whole nother bunny trail, but my dad recently came out as, um, supporting the KKK, <laughs> which I've, you know, referred to him as a white supremacist for years, but I'm not even sure that I realized how deep that runs. And so anyways, but the point of that being, he was the one shaping <laughs> a lot of my um, racial lenses growing up as far as how I saw myself, as well as how I saw the world around me. So yeah, so definitely the similarities with in that I saw in South Africa, you know, it started. I started to have the light bulbs. Like, yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah, was, okay, this was like purposely done here for these reasons, and I bet it's the same in the U.S. Oh, yep, it is. You know. Yeah, because I've never been to to Africa, and so I was just curious in, in hearing you talk about it briefly, like the the economic structure. Um, like how whites are living and how blacks are living. I was just wondering if there's like, if there's similarities you see there and then the United States and the only difference there is they had apartheid and they were very open about it. Where here you kind of have this like veiled. Yeah. We're not racist like society, but we still, we still incorporate a lot of, systematic racism in our structures. Right. Know? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, really, there's so much. I might be reaching I think, there. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think there's so much to the fact that apartheid was named. Yeah. Like, it was identified. Like apartheid has a name, like as a system of racial discrimination, it has a name, whereas in the U.S., we named slavery, but we never named the broader 
right? Like we don't really have a name. <laughs> I mean, I guess like white supremacy or racism, but we don't, it's not as specific as naming apartheid, I feel right. like. And so I think that's where then you can get people saying, well, slavery ended. So racism ended. So it's over. We correlate, <laughs> right. So we correlate, you know, slavery with racism, but, but the same thing is happening in South Africa, right? People are like, well, apartheid's over. So racism is over. And it's like, no, no, it's, it's really not. Um, and I think another major difference is that the numbers, like the demographics in South Africa are um, very much switched from, so, you know, like in the U.S., it's what, 13% um, black. And then I, I, I haven't looked at this recently, but it's what, 60 some percent, I think, um, non-Latinx white. But anyways, in South Africa, it's, it's very much the opposite. It's like 10% white and 90% black. And so I think that wow. also makes it easier to kind of see, you know, visually, right. To like see what's happening because the black population is so is the vast majority. Um, you know, white folks are less than 10% of the population, but it was so easy to see that white folks still owned the majority of businesses and, were in the positions of power. Like you could just see that just walking around the little town we lived in. Right. Like, Oh, yeah. every business we go in is like white owned, but white people are, they only make up like, it might even be like 8% of the population. It's, it's under 10%. And so, yeah. So I think the demographics had a lot to do with um, kind of helping open my eyes to some things too. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely the naming of things I think is, a huge <laughs> and, and I, I do kind of back to what you said about it being more open there. I had a friend from um, South Africa that I became pretty close to when I was in grad school and I was always trying to get her opinion. Like do you, she had lived in the States for maybe five years, you know, like, do you think it's worse in South Africa or worse here? I was, you know, cause my mind, I don't know. I was just trying to sort through everything I was learning and everything I'd seen there and she, that was actually what she said, that she thinks it's a lot worse. Racism is a lot worse in the U.S. because we don't talk as frankly about it. She's right. like, at least in South Africa, we acknowledge that this happened. And, and we had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which is a whole nother <laughs> topic that we could debate, you know, the pros and cons of that. But, um, but yeah, that was the one thing that she really talked about was that it's just it's recognized it has been acknowledged whereas i think here there's always been this effort and still is right to just sweep it all under the rug yeah yeah exactly or pretend it's over or whitewash it you know it wasn't really as bad as everybody makes it out to be you know all those kind of things yeah um not to keep going down this um this rabbit i won't say a rabbit hole but um <laughs> A friend of mine um, whose daughter is, um, well, it's an African-American family. Her daughter, I think, is like 14 or something. And they were talking about um, American or United States history. And they were teaching students in the class that slavery, uh, what did they say? Um, something to the effect that white people needed help with work and blacks Ugh. were helping them right. with their work. Like they were changing right. 
the narrative of like what really happened of like rape and torture and genocide and breeding like breeders like yeah (laughs) changing it to like we were all getting along and helping each other yay right yeah it's disgusting (laughs) yeah so yeah that stuff that that's yeah and that's still happening i mean i see that pop up every now and again right like some screenshot of some textbook from somewhere exactly what you're saying it's like people are still trying to do that like 2019 still trying to change history <laughs> so yeah that, that that's happening um okay i'm sure we can keep doing that and talking about that but um so let's um can you can you tell um can you talk about your upbringing um, and you know, when I guess you were young and, and you can take this wherever you want to take it as far as what you were saying, as far as your, um, ethnic identity, what you saw as a, as a, as a kid and what was fed to you and just, you know, what, whatever you're, you're comfortable, um, disclosing. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, like I mentioned, we grew up in this very, very small white town. I mean, we were the only, um, you know, non-white family in this town and maybe in the county. I'm not sure. I think occasionally there, there was like a, you know, here or there, there'd be, like, there was a Asian mom and her son that lived in the county briefly. And then there was like a black kid at the high school briefly. But I think most people of color probably came and then left. <laughs> But we were there. We were there for 18 years. Um, um, Yeah, I mean, I feel like my racial indoctrination, as I like to call it, it was it was kind of a subtle way that it happens, I guess, in I'm guessing in a lot of families, you know, like something would come up on TV, you know, on the news about. I don't even remember, maybe a protest or, you know, a news story about someone that was saying they'd been, you know, a victim of racism. And my dad would make these comments like, oh, well, there they are playing the race card. You know, so it was more like these comments that he would make kind of along the way that Mm -hmm. were in like informing, right, how we would respond to things like that um, down the road. And so, and then there was also this, this thing that he would always say, it didn't happen. I don't think frequently, but every now and again, he would just tell us this phrase, you're white because your father's white. And so that was his kind of narrative informing, you know, our racial identities. So I was the middle of three three kids. Um, I have an older brother and a younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, also, I also have a half brother, but he grew up with his mom. So it was my two brothers and I that grew up in the same household. And so those were kind of, you know, and we were just kids. So it was like, and we were homeschooled. So we were like, I mean, talk about sheltered, right? Like right. this super small town that on top of that, my family was like super conservative Christian. So that adds another layer of like, <laughs> you know, bubble. And then, yeah, we're homeschooled. So, I mean, we were just like way, I mean, so sheltered, so in a bubble. Um, 
And just as kids, you know, we would just kind of, when dad, my dad would say those things, we would just be like, whatever, like, okay, dad, and go back to playing or not even like respond. You know, it's just yeah. kind of, they were just like offhand comments. <clears throat> well, anyways, so I guess where a lot of that started to change for me was um, when I came to school, I came to a small private um, school here in Chicago and you know, so I was around a much more diverse um, group than I had been before. I mean, we'd always taken a lot of trips. M my mom's family lived um, in Chicago, my grandparents and her oldest brother. And so we would always come see them like three or four times a year. We'd go to Chinatown. We'd celebrate Chinese New Year. And um, and my mom, you know, cooked mostly Chinese food and, you know, was very um, much a Chinese woman, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't something she talked about very much. She just, you know, she just it, did it. Yeah, it just was who she was. Mm -hmm. And you know, and occasionally they would talk about little incidents, you know, like things that my mom had faced in that town. Like one time, my somebody ran into my mom and dad, like one of my dad's friends, and they were chatting with him, and then they were like, "Well, how's your wife doing?" And she was standing right there. <laughs> So obviously the assumption was that she can't speak English, oh, you know? And so he yeah. was like, um, well, why don't you ask her? She, she's right here. Like, and you know, so they would have a lot, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, race would be talked about occasionally, but anyways, but I, I came away to, to Chicago straight out of that town of 500 having been homeschooled. <laughs> so I had like major culture shock um, coming to school up here and said a lot of like horrible shit, like repeated some of the stuff that my dad had, you know, said, like taught us growing up and, um, but started to really unravel a lot of that and started so wait, to go you, back home. You were repeating that stuff? Yeah. Okay. Like one of one of my um, black friends um, was talking about discrimination that he and and some of his you know other black friends were facing in the classroom, and I remember looking at him. I mean, this is like to my utter shame, right? Like my everlasting shame. I just looked at him and was like, "But isn't that just a race card? Like that's where I was at age eighteen. Wow. Yeah. And he, you know, obviously got like super angry at me. And, but that was really, he was actually one of the biggest catalysts of me starting to change and learn because, you know, he got really mad at me, obviously for good reason. And then, um, later on, you know, I was trying to ask him some questions about racism and he basically just told me, you don't get it. And that's the problem. And refused to answer any of my questions. And I just remember being like so angry. Like, well, how am I supposed to get it if you won't answer my questions? Like, I'm trying to get it and you won't help me get it. You know, like, <laughs> like I was entitled. Like, obviously now I understand like that was, you know, me feeling entitled to his like emotional labor. Um, but but that like nagged at me. Like, well, wait, I don't get wait, what. I have a question though. Okay. How did that happen where you're well, – because, like, you, I don't – I can't even get there with a lot of people. Like, how did you – how did that happen where you're, like – where you're asking questions? That's typically so, not, like, the position 
closed-minded people take? They have well, all the answers. Yeah, true. But you, but, but I was trying to understand a lot of racial. So, so my racial identity had always been a very painful, like extremely painful area for me because I knew I was a Chinese woman and a mixed race woman. You knew that as a and, kid, you were saying? Oh, yeah. Obvious, like, I, I mean, I have a Chinese mother. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's obviously like DNA. You know what I'm saying? Like, I obviously have both Chinese and white heritage. So I never bought into my dad's like, you're white because your father's white. I never bought into that. I was just like, whatever, dad. Like, well, I don't even know what you're okay, talking about. Okay, so, okay. That's all I was kind of curious about. It's like, so you you knew you were, I mean, obviously different. You looked different. You knew you didn't look like yeah. the other white people in the area. Right, and we were constantly othered growing up. I guess that that's an important part of my upbringing I left out, right? We uh-huh. were always othered. I mean, I can't count the number of times people would come up to me, adults, kids, what are you? What are you? What are you? What are you? Right. I got, I was asked that it was a normal question that I was, I mean, I say normal (laughs) kind of sarcastically. It was a question I was asked regularly. Yeah. Um, my whole 18 years because we stood out, right? Like three little black haired, dark brown eyed children with their Asian mother, (laughs) right. In this area, like, we obviously stood out. So I knew I was different. I knew I was Chinese. Like I said, we visited my mom's parents a lot. My mom spoke Chinese. We would go to the, you know, um, the big new year's Chinese new year celebrations. And, um, so I was trying to understand my own racial identity Okay. in college. Right. Right. So I think that makes it, different (laughs) that's why you were asking questions and trying to 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 get okay i see yeah and i cared about my friends even though it didn't sound like i did by my response right and i didn't want to be ignorant right that's probably a big part of it too i didn't want to be dumb and i kind of knew i was (laughs) i lived in a town of 500 my whole life not dumb as in Uh, yeah my intellectual capacity but super naive right right about the world outside of this village I grew up in. Right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So this friend said, that's a problem. You don't get it. And that's the issue. And that I kid you not nagged at me for the next, I don't even know how long, five, six, seven, eight years. Every, like I would think about that statement and ask myself, I don't get what, like, what is it? I don't get. And I still didn't even know. I mean, at that point, you know what I'm saying? I didn't even really know yet what it was. I didn't get. I just knew there was something that this friend of mine felt very passionately about. And my response made him very angry and that there was something that he felt was really important that I didn't get. At all. And, and, and so much didn't even get it that he wouldn't even talk to me about it. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, and so, um, yeah. And so 
I, I kind that kind of nagged at me. And I think in, in South Africa, that's when <laughs> I started to realize what it was. I didn't get what, what age were you when you um, went there to South Africa? So I was 24, 24. Okay. Yeah. When I went to South Africa. Yep. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's, that's interesting to me because, um, I, I, I can see you getting there because you're not, um, we'll just say white for the sake of the podcast. I won't keep repeating myself and doing the European thing. Yeah. yeah I'll yeah. just say white. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, so you not being a, a white person, most of my experience with white people with, with who are limited in, in information, they have all the answers. Yeah. And they're so sure about all the information they have and their information is a reality. And right. hearing your upbringing and what's, what was, was taught to you, but you keep having all these questions. I, it, it makes sense to me because you're not white and you, you're, you keep having these, um, you know, experiences where you're othered. And so I can see how that would naturally make you question things because other than that, if you were white, I think you just would have went with it. Yeah. And I've thought about that, how much, and I know that me being mixed race has a huge, because I haven't had the experience of white folks. I mean, in, in some ways, yes, there's pr- a lot of privilege there and that, you know, light skin privilege, that whole thing for sure. But I also had my own experiences of racism that I dealt with growing up and in my young adulthood. And so, yeah, I think, you know, it wasn't as big of a jump for me. I already knew that existed. It was just learning how that exists for other people that are a different race than I am, you know, that aren't like Asian and white that are black or that are Latinx or, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I hate to just kind of like beat a dead horse here, but just the simple fact that you're a different ethnicity um, or, or mixed opens you up to this whole other world that, you know, uh, a, a limited white person can't ever enter into. Um, or they, they can, but they don't. Yeah. A lot of the time, and just simply on just the merits of their ethnicity, they it's like this giant wall. Um, hell, they're trying to build a wall now, right? <laughs> you know what I mean, right? <laughs> like, stop the building walls, <laughs> intellectual, psychological walls, like walls, right. yeah. Oh, that makes me yeah. so mad. Um, I know, five and what does it so. take to to force people right into or or help them (laughs) i guess i shouldn't say force should i (laughs) what does it get to what does it take to get those folks that are those white folks that are exactly what you're saying right that don't see don't want to see won't ever see what does it take to to change that because there's a few out there very few right but yeah (laughs) Yeah, but what does it take? <laughs> so, my next question to you is: um, How do you define white supremacy? 
what is that? What is it to you? Like, I guess we all know, like, I guess like the technical definition of it, but what, what is it to you and kind of how did it manifest itself? So to me on a, like a personal level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you kind of talked a little bit about it, you know, how subtle it it, it kind of was. Well, I think something I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, we use this term white supremacy. I w- I've just been like chewing on this the past couple of days. So these are probably really like unformed thoughts, but that's, that's fine. really thinking about the self-esteem boost or self-worth, like what white folks get out of seeing themselves as right. It's called white supremacy. So white folks are seeing themselves as supreme better than, right? Mm -hmm. Other folks. And just realizing the, um, yeah, like how much white folks identity and self-esteem and self-worth rests on this feeling of I'm intellectually superior or, um, morally superior or, you know, all these different ways that, that, white folks just internalize that and then think that they are better than people of color based simply on their skin color. Right. Um, and just all the different ways that plays out in society and in dating. And, and I don't think I've like fleshed it out enough in my head to maybe even be able to articulate it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a lot of what, when I think of white supremacy growing up, you know, my dad, how much do I say here? Like, you know, he had a high school education and I mean, he's, he's in his late seventies. Now he tried to go to college for a couple months and I'm pretty sure it was, he never said why he quit, but I think it was probably too hard for him. Um, and And none of those things mean that someone can't be super smart or super intelligent or super, but my dad, (laughs) it's like he had this sense of like this entitlement, Mm -hmm. like that he's better than black folks and better than women and better than, and I've always just like kind of looked at, his life. And I don't mean this to be rude, but, and just kind of scratch my head. Like what, what may about your life makes you think that you are so much better than others. And really it's just, he's white and he's male and internalizing, you know, that feeling of supremacy, what society teaches you as a male and as a, white person, you know, that you're, that, you know, all the different ways that, that you're taught (laughs) that you are more rational and you're, you know, you have the answers and, and all, all those other things. And so I think that's the way I saw it manifest was, yeah, just like this entitled entitled attitude and just this feeling of being better than when there was nothing justifying that. But but mm-hmm. I don't mean that as to say that like 
that that's all it was. I mean, it manifested itself in some very violent ways with my dad. Mm -hmm. So when I say entitlement, I don't mean he just had these little attitudes that just stayed contained in within himself. Right. Mm -hmm. It, he was very, a very violent man and very sexist and very racist. And that's, I mean, and that came out towards people around him in very abusive ways. And so when I think of white supremacy, I think of violence. I mean, really, I think at my core, even though I just went off on the spiel about <laughs> self-esteem and how, but I think when I think white supremacy, I really think violence mm -hmm. because when push comes to shove, that's how those attitudes are going to manifest themselves, right? If you think you're better than someone or you think you're more deserving or you're smarter and you can't get them to acknowledge that, um, you know, a lot of people will try to force you to acknowledge that, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like scream at you or beat you or whatever they need to do, kill you. Like obviously different people are willing to go to different links, I think, you know, as far as violence and that sort of thing. But I, I think white supremacy is, it is violent. <laughs> it's, it's not just physically, but it's emotionally violent. Right. Like to right. dehumanize other people like that's violence, that's abusive. So I just think, yeah, inherently it's it's already psychologically and emotionally violent, if not also physically violent. So I think at the core, um, that's what I think of. And that's how I experienced it. So like those comments of my dad that my dad would make about, you know, you're white because your father's white. They were offhanded comments when we were young, but then when I, after I came to school in Chicago and started developing a stronger racial identity for myself um, and would come home and he would say those things and I would challenge him, he, you know, it got, it became very abusive. Like he would scream at me, like, you're white, you're white, like just like enraged, like he would become enraged at me merely asserting that I identified as mixed race or I identified as Chinese and white or I identified as Chinese American, it would enrage him. And so, you know, the offhanded comments didn't stay offhanded once challenged. And we see that all the time, right? We right. see like, or I have, you know, we, we see white folks that want to pretend to be all polite and this and that. And, but then it's like, when you really start standing up to them about their views, it can, it can become violent in a hurry, right? Like it's, yeah. So there's some of my scattered thoughts on <laughs> white supremacy. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm literally writing a question down here and so the question is this. I love talking to you, by the way. <laughs> oh. I, I love talking about this I stuff. I really do. Um, okay, so let me ask you this. Do you think that white supremacy has handicapped some white people's development and in, you know, intellectually, emotionally, just all the ways you can think of, you know, internally? Because a lot of the things that it sounds like you were saying as far as how it's tied to their identity. It sounds like self-esteem issues. 
you know, it's like because if you if you've ever met a a happy person or a, like a fulfilled person, they don't feel the need to project their views on other people. They're just complete and content, right? And happy. Yes. Yes. You know, and they're 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 good. Yes. But like, like you said, with a lot of the white supremacy behavior, it turns violent, and it's like. Can you even articulate your thoughts? You know, like what's wrong with you? Like what's what's wrong? You and know? most white <laughs> folks don't even know. They don't even know because they haven't done that work. And and a lot, I think a lot of times no one's ever challenged them. But you totally hit the nail on the head. It's like that whole concept of if you're dependent on someone or something else for your sense of wholeness or your sense of worth. That's a shaky place to be, right? Like, yes. if you're, right, because if you're, so, if, I mean, when we can name anything, right? If you're dependent on your wealth for your sense of identity, well, what happens if you lose all your money? Well, now you don't, you feel worthless or you don't know who you are. Or if you're dependent on your your looks, you know, or if you're dependent on your spouse, you know, to, like, I guess for women or whatever, you know, to feel beautiful or whatever, anytime, and, and that's the, dynamic with white supremacy white folks i feel like a huge portion of their sense of worth as human beings is predicated on this whole whites are better than people of color but they don't know it they don't even realize that they've internalized that and i think that's why these conversations explode so easily right when you start i mean you can you can just call a white person white and they'll go crazy on you sometimes like even just acknowledge it's like you talk about people of color you talk about oh that black guy over there that asian woman but i can't even like refer to you as white and all of a sudden your world is shaking right Mm -hmm. i think there's it's because there's this huge sense I feel like of, um, yeah, worth and identity that that is <laughs> based on this racial superiority, but they don't even realize that. And so when you start poking at that, yeah, you're not just poking at, you know, white folks always want to say, well, that's just politics, or you're not just po- people don't react like that when you're talking about something you know that that is just you know what i'm saying like they, people wouldn't have that extreme of a reaction white folks if yeah. this was just political and i think it's because it's actually poking it's, at it's personal yeah their sense of goodness and that's why you get white folks too that'll be like well i'm not racist i'm a good person right i can't be racist because i'm good and i think that says a lot right there you're you are, they feel like you're attacking literally their sense of worth as a human being to say to them, hey, what you just said was racist because they don't even realize that so much of their sense of who they are is based on feeling superior to other people, even though everybody, they'd all swear that that's not how they feel, (laughs) Right. right? I don't feel like I'm better than anybody. Well, you may not consciously Or maybe you're just in denial. You won't admit it to us. But that's the message you're getting in, you know, 
news and media and you know you know all these different areas so that's what you've internalized whether you consciously realize right. that or not <clears throat> and, and let me be clear and i'm 100 percent sure you feel the same way not all white people um some um behave that way um some you know have been fortunate and and some do the work and you you, you get as they say woke if you will um it's been my experience. Like my wife, for example, she's um, Caucasian and she's been able to admit how sheltered she's been as far as reality and what she thought was real was not real because we had a lot of arguments early on in our relationship, like about um, police shootings, for example, um, and stuff like that, where, um, I heard this, I heard it put this way. It was really enlightening to me where typically, for example, when a white person gets pulled over by a cop, they get pulled over because they've done something wrong. And that's the reality. Like, oh, cops, you've done something wrong. You're in trouble. So when they see a a cop, you know, pulling over massive amounts of black people, they're like, well, what are they doing wrong? Right. Because they're getting pulled over, they're doing this, they're doing that. It never occurs to them, or some of them, um, that they could be getting profiled, that right. these cops are just human beings, and they have biases, and they have you know, uh, different opinions and agendas about things, or whatever, whatever. And so, saying all that, said, the lights came on for her when she married a black man. <laughs> right. Which is usually when the lights come on for white folks, if they're going to come on. Yeah. Right. Is when there's some sort of super close yeah, <clears throat> marriage or somebody adopts a black child and they start seeing people treating that child differently. Yeah. I mean, right. it usually has to be something that hits really close to home. Yeah, for folks. So, yeah, I mean, I would agree with you that that obviously there are white folks doing the work. Um, but <clears throat> I think those are not that many. But again, I'm speaking from my right. That's fair experience of where I come from. And but yeah, they're out there and I'm I'm glad they're there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I wanted to say, I'll go ahead and say it since we had that awkward pause, is, and I don't know if this is where you were going at all, but there's kind of this debate out there, and I know this will seem really extreme Mm -hmm. to people and maybe even to you. I don't know. Okay. But, you know, are all white people racist? And, you know, my definition of racism is like holding views and ideas and behaviors and biases that support and uphold white supremacy, whether that's conscious or not. Right. So do I believe, like, <laughs> so do I believe like most white people are going around consciously thinking I hate black people and I think I'm better than them. No, not consciously, but do all white people like con like uphold whites have ideas and, and that uphold white supremacy. Yeah. And so I, I guess my, kind of thing is yeah you're if you're white and even people of color you know like people of color internalize this stuff too right so if people of color can internalize white supremacy and internalize those things like i talked about in my upbringing 
then if you're white, you're surely internalizing that stuff, you know? So yeah, I guess my kind of thing is, yeah, white folks are racist and some are doing the work <laughs> to undo that. And some are yeah, not, and, but it's all across the spectrum. Yeah. If we're being honest, um, I, I don't see how you, how you, you, you have to have that conversation. I mean, it's in the air we breathe in this country. And, if you, you know, I mean, it really it, is. If you're denying those things exist consciously or subconsciously, then you're lying. Yeah. And you're supporting white supremacy in your behaviors and your beliefs. I mean, you are even if you're not conscious of it. Um, it kind of reminds me back to South Africa, but I read this book um, a while back about a, um, right after the, the end of apartheid, a, it was this black professor who took over as the, I think he was the dean of this um, primarily Afrikaans college in Pretoria, which Pretoria was like the heart of um Afrikaners and therefore the heart of apartheid. And um, so he, you know, kind of, he makes all these like white friends because he's actually now able to mingle with white folks, which you weren't allowed to do during apartheid. Right. right. And so anyways, he, he just writes this book. He, he, he sets about as an academic, right. Like trying to understand how um, Afrikaans folks, which they were the ones that, you know, they're originally of Dutch ancestry, but colonized South Africa. And then they were the ones that were behind um, creating and, and upholding apartheid. So he says about trying to figure out, like, how do Afrikaans people come to believe racially the things that they believe? Like, basically what I call indoctrination. Like, how, how does this indoctrination process occur? Mm -hmm. And his, you know, conclusion was that those racial messages and that indoctrination is so embedded in society that it's basically like you're born with knowledge in the blood. And that was what he titled his book, knowledge in the blood <laughs> that that's how deep. And I feel the same about this country. Like, yeah. you know, everything is so deeply embedded in the, uh, or white supremacy is so deeply embedded in the fabric of everything in this country that how, how can you escape you know, you can't escape like um, getting some of that into your system. So, yeah, or a lot of it, especially if you're white, especially. That's why I like talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just go somewhere you didn't want to go? No, <laughs> oh, I would. I would never say I don't want to go there because um, not that this is important or not, but. For the longest time, as far as I can remember, one of the biggest things about me in my life is I've always wanted to know the truth. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to know what was real and yeah. everything else. I was like, nope, don't don't want to be a part of it. I, yeah. I don't I don't want any kind of facade. I, I need to know what's really happening with everything as much as I can. Right. So um, this is really interesting stuff. Well, and I think back to kind of why what we were talking about earlier, like why so many white folks and even some people of color too, let's be honest, right. Don't want to know the reality, the racial reality in this country is it's, it's painful. 
it's upsetting. It's scary to take. And I mean, I say that from personal experience, like starting out where I started out, I have had to go through some deeply confusing, terrifying, just painful seasons of like, oh my gosh, like this is what I was taught my whole life. And now that's not true. So what else isn't true? And then the truth, you know, is hard to look. I mean, who wants to look at evil and things like what we mentioned earlier, genocide and rape and abuse and torture and beatings. I mean, who really wants, nobody, I don't think at least healthy people want to spend their time like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Focused you, you on wanna, these horrific, no, like who really wants that? And so, but I just think, yeah, I think that's the part that comes down to a choice. When people start to realize there is this reality I think some folks um, either want the truth badly enough or, you know, they're willing to kind of, quote unquote, pay that price of the pain of learning the truth and and the discomfort. Right. It's not comfortable no. like to learn about this stuff or to find out that what you thought your whole life and built your life on is a sham. Like that's super difficult. And I just think a lot of people um, are not courageous enough. I guess I'm just going to put it that way. That might sound harsh, but aren't courageous enough to actually um, go there. And I, I mean, like I said, I'm, I am speaking from personal experience. It is extremely difficult. So I see why people wouldn't, but I think I'm, you know, wouldn't want to go there, but I think I'm, a lot. I'm very much like you in that I'm just kind of like, you know, I, at the end of the day, bottom line, even if this truth sucks and is like super painful and makes me feel disillusioned, whatever it makes me feel, if it makes me cry, I would rather know the truth of something than be fed a lie. And I really like mean that. Like, really mean that. But I think that is not the case for a lot of people. I think probably the majority of people would rather be comfortable. Right. It can include the truth or it can include not include the truth. And I saw that when I came back um, from my time in living in South Africa. And I had also visited, you know, gone to a couple other countries while I was there and I'd seen a lot. I mean, I saw kids they just rescued um, from the bush that were starving and traumatized. And I mean, I, I just saw a lot of things that were the reality of what people around the world face, you know? And I was coming to all of these painful realizations, you know, like I think it's, it's over 20,000 people that die a day from lack of adequate nutrition. Mm -hmm. And I was grieving that. I mean, that was like something that had hit me like in my heart, not just numbers, not just statistics, not just some kids somewhere, but that had like really like penetrated me. And I was like grieving and 
angry and sad and what how can this be that we live in a world you know where that I live in a country where people throw tons and tons and tons of food away and we're we're so wasteful and we're so excessive and then a plane ride away right people are literally starving to death and I, so while I was trying to process these things you know with my close friends I would bring like I remember one friend, I'll never forget this. I just had barely started saying, you know, cause everybody wanted to know how was your trip? <laughs> right. How was your trip? Well, how am I supposed to well, answer do, do that? Do they like, really want to know? <laughs> right. And so I would say, well, you know, there were some good parts and there were some really hard parts. And then if it seemed like they wanted to know a little more, I would start to tell them. And I remember this one friend and she's like got her master's in social work. So she's seen some stuff, right? Right. Being in that profession. And I remember I said, you know, I saw these starving kids in Uganda and it just broke my heart. And she literally like interrupted me and said, oh, my gosh, look at the time. Like jumped up off the couch. It's time to start dinner and like marched into her kitchen. And so, yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately – Back to racial <laughs> issues, I think a lot of times people just don't – they don't want to know because if it doesn't affect them, you know, or they don't think it affects them, then they can't be bothered to, you know, do the work and the digging and the questioning and the painful truth kind of work um, that right. it would take. So – yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Every year about uh, when, you know, we hit September 11th <clears throat> and uh, one line that I always hear about September 11th. <laughs> wait, do you know where I'm going with this? <laughs> yeah. Don't forget. Remember, remember, <clears throat> remember. Don't forget. Remember, remember, remember. And yeah. I, I swear to God, I am not trying to take anything away from September 11th and you know right. what that would happen there. But it's 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 like you said. Never forget. I'm like, well, you know, that's convenient, right? <laughs> like, let's forget everything. Let's forget else everything about else. History, all history ever in the entire world, <laughs> but not this one. But not this one. And and then another thing with that is they talk. They I hear this line all the time as well, where they're like one of like the worst, you know, massacre or whatever act of terrorism in the United States history. <clears throat> I'm like, have you ever heard of black wall street? Right. Trail of tears. Anyone, you know, and like the, I'm looking at it right now. I actually pulled it up. The Tulsa race, right? It's like, I think it looks like what, like 300 black people. Right. We're just straight up murdered. Right. Or Be- because hundreds of years of slavery. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can't even count like how many lives. Yeah. We don't even know. More we than, can't even. Yeah, more than eight hundred people were admitted to hospitals. Uh, more than six thousand black residents were arrested and detained. Like, you want to talk about terrorism? Right. Come yeah. on. Yeah. So right. I, I would, I would, I would appreciate it, and it'll never. I don't want to say it'll never happen, but you would appreciate it. You know, I'm like, if we're going to talk about like acts of terrorism in the United States and the worst acts of terrorism that we've ever had, bring bring this up. White terrorism. Let's really talk about it. You know. Right. Right. Um, yeah. How do you the, go ahead? 
Yeah, that just reminded me. I'm listening to um, Michael Eric Dyson's yes. book, Tears We Cannot Stop, right now uh, yeah, no, on Audible. And uh, I forget who he credited uh, credited this phrase to someone, and I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, but he used the phrase, the United States of Amnesia. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's so true. United wow. States of Amnesia. So, yeah, let's, yeah. Amnesia about everything except 9-11. Don't ever forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, history is written by the winners. Um, I, I, I use that term a lot. And um, some yeah. people look at me weird when I say that. I'm like, well, it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, and not just history, but that was one of the things in grad school that like, I had this class um by Kwa, Dr. Kwaku Kerang, give him a little shout out because mm-hmm. I know he'll listen to this. <laughs> Just kidding, <laughs> um, but <laughs> but it was this like uh, theories of race and ethnicity class, and that was by far my favorite class in grad school. And I know a lot of my colleagues said the same. But we basically went back and we were reading documents by like the person who founded you know, what is known as the modern day field of psychology, right? But we don't really think about like where even these areas of study, these fields come from, Mm -hmm. right? But we were going back and reading, oh, this person is known as the, you know, founder of psychology or the, this person's known as the founder of philosophy and like reading these documents about stuff they'd written. And it was like heinously racist. I mean, like just, you know, so overtly white supremacist and race, like horrifically. And that was like such a, you know, key thing for me is like, oh my gosh, we even have all these fields of knowledge, quote unquote, that were all like founded on white supremacy too. Like no wonder we're screwed. (laughs) And obviously a lot of those fields have gotten better Mm -hmm. over the years, but yeah, it's not just history that's whitewashed and revisionist history. It's also all of these other fields that began that way mm-hmm. as well and still have a lot of that in within their, you know, but these are the things that are taught as just this is just knowledge. Like we don't think to think about who created the knowledge or where did that knowledge come from? Mm-hmm. It's just we just consider it like this is just what it is, it just, you know, but when you trace it back, it's like very eye opening. <laughs> Can you give me just a quick example of like something you saw? Um, like you were saying, uh, like the history of like psychology or something as far as how it uh, was tied to uh, racism or, or white supremacy. Like what'd you see? Oh, I'm trying to remember specifically. I mean, it would just, it it would be documents we'd read, you know, that would be like, well, white people's brains are shaped this way, which, you know, like photos, like this is what a white person's cranium looks like. And this is what a black person's cranium looks like. And this just, you know, um, proves our idea that whites are just, more fully formed, you know, kind of like it would just be stuff like that. Um, you you got to ask yourself why. 
but I'm like, this is the, these are the people that in their day were looked at as the top people in their field. And this is the kind of crap they're spreading and disseminating around the world. But like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like why the need to, to, (sighs) to try and prove something that's so false? Like why? Well, to justify slavery, right? Yeah, like, like the motives. Like, are were that what were those some of the motives? Are you that insecure? Like, what what's what is it? You know, what's going on here? Um, uh, I mean, there's no way we could ever really know, <laughs> right? <laughs> I had a psychologist friend that one time said it's group narcissism. That was her psych- best psychological answer for. Some of this stuff. It's like yeah. white folks have group narcissism. I was like, yeah, interesting. But yeah, we will never know for sure. No. But I think a lot of it was to justify the atrocities that were already being perpetuated towards people of color. So if you're going to see yourself as good and moral and upright while also justifying these atrocities, then you've got to, you know, come up with some sort of reason why these people deserve, you know, it's okay to treat these folks in this manner. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. That's my thoughts. <laughs> um, another funny thing real quick is um, I don't know if you've seen the images um, here recently of um, the United States Senate and like, yes. you compare it to a photo <laughs> of the House of Representatives. Yes. It's um, what's, what's the word? Is it polarizing? Is it, it's, 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 it's so I don't know how you cannot see that and be like, yeah, that's that can't be right. You right. know what I mean? It's like right. it's like I don't know what the numbers are here, but it's like 50 white men. <laughs> you know? And then over here it's like black woman, black man, white man, white Muslim woman, woman. Muslim woman, right. Muslim, Asian. Yeah. Right. Everything. And Indigenous. I, yeah. And I, they were they had a photo. This I don't know if you see this photo floating around. Um, it's of all the uh, religious books that I think I don't know if they're being sworn right. in. Yes, on yes. them or law books. Yeah, and uh, in the House of Representatives, and it's like uh, like I don't, I'm going to get this wrong, and maybe you know, but like it's like the Quran, it's whatever the yeah. Buddhist um, book might be. Right, um, right, right. It's an atheist book. There's. Um, it's all kind of stuff. It's it's yeah, everything but Christian, <laughs> everything but the Bible, right? And then somebody's like, "Yeah, this is what freedom of religion really looks like." Right? Like, we're not just saying it, right? And they're like, "But we're all really Christians," you know? <laughs> right? You know, right? But, or this is what <laughs> diversity really looks like, like yeah. people in positions of power. Yeah. <laughs> so we're o- just over an hour in and um i'm not halfway down my page um okay. <laughs> and like i said this is i knew this would take some time um is, is this something you want to continue on a later date do you have some more time to talk with me or how, how do you want to um i remember yes. you were saying you had about about an hour and a half or something like that so yeah, I could still talk for a while yet today if you want to keep going, but mm-hmm. I definitely, if not today, want to, you know, take up the conversation another day. So we can go whichever 
okay. route is best for you. Okay. Um, what I can probably do, because when I have episodes that run really long, um, I just break them up in like multiple parts. So I'm like, well, here's part one. And we talk okay. about this. And here's part two. Part two will be on next yeah. week. It's okay. hard to get somebody to sit down and listen to like a four hour podcast. <laughs> right, right, right. No one has time for that. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, like I said, I'm not even halfway down my page. Um, so, let me see what I had here. Um, so, we kind of talked about how white supremacy manifested itself to you um we this might be kind of going back just a little bit but you in our prior conversation you were saying some of the things you saw um growing up was like i don't know if it was you saying something and then somebody would say oh you're just being too sensitive um Mm. or what's wrong with you Um, yeah you you were saying you experienced a lot of that was that was that right yeah so i i mean i kind of halfway joke, but really I'm being serious with people when I tell them like getting out of that area feels like I escaped a cult, Yeah, (laughs) which I know will offend a lot of people who still live there. But here's what I mean by that to answer your question. So when I would have, you know, experiences of racism in that area And I would try to, and obviously it's like super upsetting and I need to talk about it to somebody, you know, almost all of my circle, right. Of friends and family in that area were white. Mm -hmm. And then any kind of like pastors or mentors or counselors, I mean, everybody was white. And so when I would have, you know, these, these really painful experiences and try to talk to them about it. And some of those were with my dad, right? Like what I mentioned earlier and some were with other people. Hold hold that thought. Don't don't forget your train of thought. Okay. What's wrong with that? Wait, what's wrong with what? Everybody's white. What's wrong with everybody's white when you're not white? Yes. (laughs) There's a lot wrong with that. What's wrong with it? (laughs) What's wrong with that is your experiences get invalidated over and over and over again, and you are made out to be the one with the problem. It's not that – so that's the the feedback I would get from everybody around me. Well, you're just being too sensitive. Well, your dad didn't really mean it that way, or this other person didn't really mean that, or, well, they're just old. It's all white supremacy and racism instead of being called out – and called onto the carpet and confronted is always downplayed, justified. Um, <laughs> like, and so what that does to a person of color, it's like gaslighting. It's like I was a victim of group gaslighting. I'm coming to people telling them crying or upset. I just had this happen to me, and here's what this person said. And they are turning around and saying, Mm, it's really not that bad or that's not really what happened. You misunderstood what they meant. Okay. So the, the psychological effect of that was literally like I was being gas lit by my entire community. And that included counselors, like professional (laughs) counselors that I'm paying right to go talk to them. They didn't have a understanding of, so nobody gave it the weight that it needed. Nobody validated it. And that 
screws you up psychologically, right? If you're always being told that you're overreacting and you're too sensitive and that's not really what that was. And you're like, no, that is really what that was. Yeah. And they're like, no, it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. I want to do that for someone who's listening and they don't understand because me and you understand that. Right. Being people of color. Because when, right. when you say, well, everybody's white, and somebody listening who might not understand that be like, well, what's wrong with that? Right. Are you She's saying racist. all white people are bad? But no, no. Right. So that's why I wanted to see if, if you could elaborate on that, Articulate just, that. Just, just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, so that was my experience. Um, gr- I mean, pretty much the whole time I was in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kept me in enough – it's like I knew <laughs> that what I'd experienced was racism and it wasn't okay. But then when everyone around you is reacting as if you're just blowing this out of proportion, you know, you feel super isolated, mm-hmm. like very isolated. And it leads to you questioning, well, maybe I am too sensitive or maybe. And and so my kind of, I guess, coping mechanism or what I was taught as well, not this was not by my dad, but this was by friends more in my like early 20s is race and racism are just a joke. It's stuff to joke around about. So I would have these quote unquote friends that would make all these, you know, quote unquote jokes about me or about my brother, you know, chinky eyes and oh, when we go outside, like, can you see as well as we can see, you know, mm-hmm. because of the shape of our eyes and all this stuff. And it would piss me off. And then everybody around me, cause everybody was white would laugh. And then it's like, well, and, and if I try to push back, like, I'm not okay with that. Then it's like, well, you can't take a joke. Like I was joking, you know, I'm not racist, you know? So it was always justified and kind of kept me, in some amount of confusion, like enough confusion where I wouldn't put my foot down and really be like, no, that's not okay. That needs to stop. Mm -hmm. And so I think those were a lot of the ways that I internalized a lot of self-hatred and didn't even realize it until I got out of that environment, really till I was in grad school. I started to realize how all of that had impacted me. Um, over the years and started to kind of reconstruct a healthier, you know, that I wasn't the one who was the problem. Mm -hmm. They were the ones who were the problem, but it it can be confusing and it even kind of befuddles me now. Like how, how was that so confusing? You were an adult, a young adult, but you were an adult. You felt how you felt, but I guess that's what, that's what gaslighting does. Right. It confuses you enough mm-hmm. to stay in the situation. And so. Yeah, that's where I was until in grad school. That's when really the pieces of my life started to make sense and why racial identity had been so painful for me all those years. Well, because I was in a super racially unhealthy, a racially toxic environment. That's what I was in. As a person of color, I had grown up and lived most of my life in an extremely racially toxic environment. No wonder I don't have a healthy racial identity and this is a super painful 
messed up area for me. Um, and so once I started to realize that and, and work through that in grad school, that's when I really kind of came into my own, much to the, <laughs> um, in a way that most folks that I grew up with don't like, mm-hmm. you know, because <clears throat> now it's like, you know, once I got that clarity, it was like, okay, here's my boundaries. Unacceptable. Like, no, you can't treat me that way anymore. You can't say these things to me anymore. Or not just about me, but about other people too. Like, that's something that always messes with my mind. It's like, I'll still get white folks sometimes that'll make a comment, a racist comment about black people. And I get all, you know, up in arms about it. And they're like, what? It wasn't about you. Like, people just can't seem to wrap their minds around that you would care. You know what I'm saying? That if it doesn't affect you, then why would you care? Because that's how they think, I guess. And I'm like, this doesn't have to be directly about me for me to be absolutely 100% not okay with this. Um, And so, wait, I kind of lost my train of thought. (laughs) I think that I mean, was a bunny trail. Yeah, I mean, but that's kind of a whole other topic that I have an issue with as far as because that, that covers a number of issues where whether it's like gun control or like global warming where a lot of people seem to take the uh, the approach, well, if it's not affecting me. Right. So why should I care? Why should I care? And I'm like, yo, like <laughs> this is going to be everybody's problem soon if we don't deal with it. Right. You know? a- or... Can you just be like you call yourself a good human being? Isn't that super good to like care about things that affect people, whether it affects you or not? Like, Mm -hmm. isn't that and like this shared humanity thing? You know, like we're all connected. We're all part of the human family. So it's good to actually care about issues that affect others, even if you're not affected by them. But yeah, yeah. we're the (laughs) greatest country on the planet. Right. So. Right. 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 And don't. Yeah. And God forbid I say that sarcastically, right. because then I'm not American. Right. <laughs> right. You hate America. I hate. I'm like really like <laughs> from zero to one hundred, like just like that. I can't yes. question my country. I love that. Yeah. By the way, I really. I mean, I don't mean like I love it, but like, like for example, the whole Colin Kaepernick thing in the the NFL protest, and how dare you protest. I'm like, do you not understand? <laughs> like what America is, what America and what democracy you means. Really, like you, you are taking the absolute wrong approach to this situation. You yeah, couldn't be just, more wrong. <laughs> you I couldn't. Just, you couldn't be less American. Actually, <laughs> I was just talking to a friend about this the other day about how people can't seem to wrap their minds around the fact that you can identify as a part of a group and still call out like still critically question things that group does. Like for instance, like I grew up a Christian, I still identify as a Christian, but I'm always calling out things within Christianity. And a lot of people have concluded that like, Oh, well, Leah's not a Christian anymore. And I'm like, so you think it's better to just a hundred percent swallow something and never critically question anything about it. Like that's being an adult. That's being like a critical thinker. Like how, why is it so hard to wrap your mind around the fact that, yeah, I could be super critical about an institution or 
calling out these issues, but it doesn't mean like I'm not a Christian or I hate Christians or I hate Christianity. It means I see a lot of not great things. <laughs> yeah. It, like, and it's like they're approaching it as if that institution is perfect and flawless. Right. Nothing like is. when is that ever a healthy way to approach anything? That's again, the cult thing. That's a cult mentality. Like, right. I have to accept like an all or nothing. I have to either be all pro this thing or not. And I'm like, that's not how anything in life works. <laughs> like yeah. Everything has pros and cons, healthy parts, not so healthy parts. So, yeah, um, usually what I get is, you know, when I start questioning America and they're like, this is the greatest country. I'm like, yeah, is it? You know, <laughs> and right. I'll usually get, well, leave. Like, really? Usually what, what, get what? Like, leave. Oh, leave, yeah. Like, leave, like really? Exactly. Well, leave. if you don't appreciate this country, go somewhere else. Yeah, I'm like, what are we, five? Like, stop. Right, <laughs> right. Well, and when you really dig into, like, well, what is it that you think makes this country so great? Well, we're wealthy. Okay, well, let's talk about how we've gotten that wealth. Whose wealth has, like, whose backs has that wealth been built on? Yeah. Like, let's talk about that. You mm-hmm. know, and people, but nobody wants to, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and for example, like when I'm having a conversation like that with a person, and I'll say, I, I'll question, you know, the United States, and I'll bring up things like slavery or, or you know, like you said, trail of tears, uh, just things that have happened. And I'll say, yeah, these things are atrocious and they're horrible. Um, yet, and still, this is also the country that freed slaves. And we do have these moments, you know, of, of, I don't know, hope where it appears things can change. So I'm like, you know, there's a lot going on. You know, I mean, we have moments that are good. We have bad moments. I I, I would say we probably have more bad moments than good moments um, in our history. Definitely. And, um, so I, I, I think it's okay to have those conversations, I guess is all I'm saying. And a lot of people don't seem don't typically subscribe to that. Right. It's like this blind loyalty. America. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, like, hold on. You know, let's talk about this. <laughs> it's a little it's slightly more nuanced than that. Just yeah. a little. <laughs> yeah. And by slightly I mean a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. So let's see here. Um, so another thing, um, and we, we've kind of gone into this just a little bit. Um, you had talked about white supremacy being, um, a violent thing to you when you think about it. Um, I want to talk about how do you see it today? Um, not personally, but in society, um, what kind of things do you see? Because I, I, I talk often a lot about what I see and people are like, well, you know, you're just a black guy doing the black thing. <laughs> you know, so I'm kind of curious to hear what you what do you see um, as a um, as an ethnic person? Not African-American. As, um, like, right. Just what do you see in society as far as white supremacy? Like, how do you see it manifesting itself today? Um in society, not, not personally. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's mass incarceration of folks of color, uh, police brutality that you mentioned earlier that, 
you know, is I tell people all the time, like, this is police brutality is the same thing. The Black Panther Party was like, that was one of the main things they were protesting. What has been like, what, 50, 60 years ago now? Like, it's Mm -hmm. not a new, like, so many of these things are not, they're not new, right? Like, people think they're new. With the Black Panther Party, just that you, since you brought that up, the, there's a huge misconception about who they are. Right. Or who they were. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's hilarious. I'm like, have you, have you researched it? Yes. You know, like, yeah. did you, did you find out who they really are? <laughs> right. Like they had all these community programs, right? Like free breakfast program for, um, children and these clinics that would write all these services that, that black folks were not being provided <laughs> or being provided in an inferior way to white folks, right. That the black Panther party like organized to mm-hmm. um, help out black communities, right. Mm-hmm. Because black communities weren't getting that from the government. And, but everybody just, you know, they've been labeled this like terrorist organization and all of that kind of stuff. But really, you know, there were all these humanitarian efforts that the Black Panther Party, um, you know, was doing in 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 black communities. And it's really kind of amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like they tried to do that with not to the same extent, like with Black Lives Matter. I feel like they kind of tried to do the same thing to them. Turn it into this like violent. Yeah. Yeah terrorist organization out to destroy all that is good (laughs) (laughs) for no good reason. Just because people like to like spend their time (laughs) organizing and marching and being like pepper sprayed. It's like just for fun. Right. After you work and stuff like, you know, like your second part-time job, but it's just for fun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yes, but what were we talking about? Um, how how you see um, white supremacy, white supremacy. It manifesting itself in society today? Like, what ways do you see it see that happening? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So those things I mentioned, and I mean, just just lingering inequalities in pretty much every area. I mean, same as like what I saw in South Africa. It's like you know, okay, apartheid's over, now go live. We've traumatized you for like centuries and taken away your land and given you no education or substandard education and all this stuff. Now apartheid's over, go live happy, healthy, productive lives. You know, like good luck. And not deal with the effects of it. And it's like, that's not really how things work. You know, and so I think same, you know, thing in this country, but it's not just that. It's not just righting the wrongs of the past. It's that those inequalities are still, and I don't, this is not my area of expertise by any means, but just, you know, how tax money is allocated to different schools in different neighborhoods. And I mean, and and those are things you, you know, that you can see, like I live in Chicago and I live on the Southwest side um, now. And I even saw this in Evansville mm-hmm. when I was living in Southern Indiana. It's like, oh, look, uh, we have these super nice parks and pools and trails and landscaping and basketball courts and freshly paved and all this stuff. And then, 
you go to like parts of town where there's a lot of black folks and all of a sudden the park has like one cracked slide and that's it. And mm-hmm. nobody's fixed. You know, it's like just how neighborhoods are taken care of mm-hmm. or how schools are funded or just all of those things that um, really were never, they were never righted. But something's like, wrong you, with those black people, right? <laughs> they're poor. You right. Know, they're, what, what's wrong with them? They're criminals. Right. Well, that's yeah. How I mean, they that's how they live. A, that's a whole nother thing <laughs> is who is looked at as, as criminal, you know, which neighborhoods I just saw a, um, an article the other day that talks about how the most uh, parking tickets are issued in Chicago in like black and Latinx neighborhoods, you know, like, I mean, I think it goes down to even the, the smallest from the smallest to the biggest areas, like who are we policing? Who are we making out to be, you know, treating as if they're they're criminal to begin with? You hey, know what I'm saying? What's that? Um, I, I hope you know this. I would think that that you might. I, I hate hearing this argument. Every time I hear it, it blows my mind. And I'm going to get this wrong, but it's. Have you heard the thing where they where they tried to do um, like like ninety percent or something of the prison population are African Americans. And, um, so they're committing like all the crime in the United States or something like that. Have, have you heard this? I kind of, I can't remember how this is put, but I heard this, I hear this so many times in like Republican like type conversations where they're trying to talk about black crime and they talk about how, um, oh, I wish I got, I wish I knew where it was, um, I mean, I haven't heard that exact, but I know what you're talking about. I've heard very It's something like if you're only policing, like they're saying like black people are like black men preferably are like responsible for like 80% of the crime in the country. But I'm like, but if you're only targeting black people, because they're like like white people aren't responsible for like any crime or or like a a very low percentage, you know, but I'm like, but if you're only policing black people, then yeah. You know. Right. <laughs> like if they're the ones that you're pulling over the majority of the time to like search for drugs or whatever, then yeah, there's going to be more black folks in prison because they're the ones you're targeting to search. You know what? I, like, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. It's like as if the demographics of the prison population represents reality of who's exactly. actually committing that, crime. That's what it is. Whereas yeah. what it really represents is the reality of who's being policed. Right. And 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 criminalized. Right. Which is has always been right. The over policing of of black communities and other communities of color. And that's another thing that I like to bring up to that other people don't always appreciate is like the history of law enforcement. Like how did law enforcement even come to be in this country, right? Well, law enforcement was primarily, you know, instituted as a way to control slaves, like to go, who was going to catch, right? When slaves ran away and escaped, we needed to have a system, right? Of people that could go find the runaway slaves and bring them back. And so like when we talk about black communities, especially being, 
over-policed in this country to this day, that's because that's who law enforcement was created to police to police to begin with. But again, nobody wants to talk about that <laughs> or that's just in the past or that's part of history that we just gloss over or that isn't, you know, widely known. And I didn't know that up until a couple of years ago, but I think that's, you know, we've talked a lot in this podcast about history and, you know, I've come to believe that, right. You have to trace everything, everything that you're looking at today. You need to trace it. You need to trace it back to, where it started Mm -hmm. because you can't understand right why we are where we are today unless we know where something started and how that's developed through the years right and so yeah so i mean that's a a massive manifestation of racism today And, and you i mean you see it all these studies about you know jobs you know people that have ethnic sounding names, you know, that, I mean, all this stuff is proven. There are, it's like study after study after study that shows like the exact same resume can be sent out. And if it has a name that sounds, you know, black or whatever on the resume, you're going to get, you know, 10 times less the callbacks as if you have a, you know, white sounding name or, you know, so I think it, it is literally white supremacy continues to manifest itself in every facet of society. It's just um, not in the same ways it did 60 years ago or a hundred years ago. And something that um, I learned in grad school too, that was like, yes, that makes so much sense is anti-racist progress has been made, but racist progress has also been made. Right. Hmm. So it's like there's this idea that all these strides forward, like in the civil rights movement or the eradication of slavery, meant that like anti-racism was making strides and racism was like dying. But really, and this is sad, (laughs) racism has also morphed and changed and made strides too to Hmm. like shift and become hidden again. Okay, well, slavery is no longer acceptable. So now we're going to institute Jim Crow. Oh, well, Jim Crow is, we've gotten to the point where we can't maintain this. So now we're going to, we're going to do mass incarceration. Oh, well, you know, it's just like, it doesn't, it hasn't really stopped. It's just changed its It's form to like keep up. Yeah. Yeah. It's evolved to keep up with, with the times. And so when people make comments to me like, Oh, but so much progress has been made. I kind of have one of those like, uh, yes, but has it really, you know, like, I don't want to downplay some of the progress that has been made, but then we got to look at the racist progress that's been made too. And yeah. how is that undercutting <clears throat> the anti-racist progress that's been made? Does and, that make sense? Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. Like, for example, um, my understanding of the prison system is, after slavery was, you know, um, after they got rid of slavery, they just evolved to the prisons. Just arrest black people. And we can, right. it's just, it just evolved. Um, Again, as a form of social control yeah. and labor, right? Yeah. And just, I, I, I don't know the laws, but I just heard there were a lot of things 
uh, back in that time that were instituted that were illegal for black people. So they just start arresting black people left and right for just ridiculous stuff. Exactly. And, and locking them up and like, oh, we got you back now. So, you know. Right. And then with, and again, this is not my area of expertise, but with the prison, you know, what's called the prison industrial complex and all the, the businesses and people and that are making like billions of money off of prisoner, prison, you know, prison the, the prison system and prison labor yeah. and all of that. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's like, well, we, we've moved from enslaving you this way to enslaving you in just a different form. Right. And I mean, really that's, I mean, especially for black, black folks, especially for black men, you know, I, I heard something, maybe, you know, the stats, but what is it like black men have a one in or like a 25% chance or something, or is it even higher than that of being imprisoned being in prison. at some point in their life? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, mean, don't know that's the number, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's super high and I, I might even be, it may even be like 31 in, or like a 33% chance. It might be even higher than that, but I mean, that's horrific. Like, and you're going to tell me that that's just because black people are just inherently, you know, <laughs> criminals. They're just criminals. No, like, no. let's really like look at what's going on here. You yeah. know, I mean, that, that's horrific. That I can't imagine being a, a a a black man and knowing that that's like the reality I'm going to have to navigate, and then people want to know why black folks are more patriotic. Like we were talking about earlier, like you're supposed to love a country that like doesn't love you. And, I'm like, like yo, and have, abuses? You, have you okay. seen the full lyrics for the star spangled banner? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like when they're singing, I'm like, just sing another verse. Right. And that's, it's going to really get pay real awkward. <laughs> really pay attention to what's being said here. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And I'm like, but I'm supposed to, yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, for, oh, if you're listening and you don't know what we're talking about, look up. It's, I believe it's the Star Spangled Banner or the National Anthem. What is it? Is that, is that what it is? Um, yeah, I think it's the Star Spangled Banner. Star Spangled Banner. And um, hold on. I just, let me, let me just look real quick here. Um, You're like, let's just read this. Be- because so. this was news to me, like within the last few years, um, it just never came up for whatever reason. Yeah. And uh, someone was like, "Yo, have you actually like read that?" Right. Like, right. Wait, what? And then I'm like, "Read!" I'm like, "Oh my god, um, it's pretty." Um, Star Spangled Banner looks. Let's see. It just. Uh, bear with me here. No worries. So I think they only sing like the first verse. Oh, here it is. I think I found it. You got it. Um, uh, no refuge could save the hireling and slave. Yeah, from the there terror you go. of flight or the gloom of the grave. Like, and what? the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave. Over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Like, how do you go from no refuge could save the hiring or slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave to like, yes, America. Yeah, like, this is <laughs> our national anthem. Home of the brave. Like, that's a pretty 
pretty big jump right there, like a huge one. Yeah, this is this is the United States national anthem. Like this is our national anthem. Right, that everyone sings while we gaze at the flag. And then people don't know why Colin Kaepernick is like <laughs> Yeah. Like why anyone would not want to sing this anthem or have a reason to protest something, right? Yeah. That's nuts. Oh, um, I can't. <laughs> that's nuts. Um, okay. So yeah, that that that's yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about with that as far as what we see today. Um, so if I could I, go ahead. Yeah, and I wish I could name for some reason I'm like blanking right now. Um, there's, you know, lots of other ways white supremacy continues to manifest um yeah and maybe we can go into that more in <laughs> yeah part two but anyways um, go ahead so this is kind of really like shifting years here but i thought it was really interesting when i was talking with you before um you had briefly mentioned your dad um i think you said coming out and admitting he supported the kkk mm-hmm. and you were saying I don't know if you were saying people were saying this to you, but someone was saying to you, well, how can your dad be racist if he's married to a Chinese woman? Right. And you, and I had, I don't know a whole lot about that. I have my own personal theories, but they're not founded in anything other than my personal thoughts. And um, so you having experienced that firsthand, um, I, I thought that was interesting. You had mentioned something like, what do you say here? Racial fetishes and, um so yeah. I was like what you know um so can you talk about that Yes I have lots of thoughts on these topics um but I do have to get ready I'm actually working tonight Okay so, so this would be a good stop This point. might be a good yeah pause okay. because if once we launch into this it might be a little while Okay <laughs> I'm not sure I can wrap it up in like a 10 minute summary. There we go. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's where we'll pick up. Um, okay. Next time. Wait, so we're, I don't think this is too bad. This is hour and 45 minutes. I think I could have this in one podcast. Okay. I was like, <laughs> Do a little editing. Would, yeah, but well, no, I don't know. I, mean, I don't want to take out anything we talked about. I mean, I think it was all relevant. Um, so yeah, uh, so we'll I'll schedule a time with you, and um, we'll see if we can pick this up then. And and because I'm I'm now just about halfway through the page. Oh, I'm like at okay. the half. This is the halfway point. <laughs> well, and like this whole like racial fetishes and what like why some people partner with who they partner with and all that. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that i'm not saying they're all right but a lot of observations and yeah okay we could talk about that one alone for a while so all right um yeah okay well i'll follow up with you and i'll just text you and we'll work something out um thank you so much for coming on and, and and speaking so candidly with me about these topics um this is probably besides you know joanna's um podcast one of the more kind of you know blunt podcast is going to make some people probably really uncomfortable and and mad at me 
you know? Well, yeah. But sorry. I think, I, sorry, I know, not sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm like, yo, I like th- we need to talk about this stuff. So yeah. there you go. Well, thanks for having me. It's yeah. been it's been really good. Like I said, I'm I'm really passionate about lots of these topics. So I yeah. um, appreciate the opportunity to talk about some yeah. of them. Yeah, and I'm gonna put this out tomorrow. So, okay. Um, okay. I'll shoot you the link and everything so you can check it out. Okay. Sounds awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Matthew. Have yeah. a good night. You too. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. So there, there you have it. Um, that was an hour and 45 minutes. Um, or we're still going here, obviously, but, um, that's, that's Leah and, um, really bright girl lady. I don't know why it's really bright woman lady. And, um, has a lot of insight and information into a lot of things. And um, this is the exact kind of thing I, I want to do on this podcast is be frank, be honest, turn stereotypes on their head and have real conversations about stuff that people don't want to talk about. That's part of the Be Humane brand, uh, being honest, being humane to your fellow human. Because ultimately that's all we're doing here is we're not trying to pick fights with people. All we're trying to do is have honest conversations with people about life and what's real and what's fake and what's a lie and see if we can make things better by having these conversations. Um, you can get your Be Humane wristbands at um, skyent.live, L-I-V-E. Uh, they're $5. Again, only the point of the Be Humane wristband is you wear it People see it, ask you what it is, and you can tell them what your Be Humane is. Uh, and that can be a number of issues. It doesn't all have to be the same thing. It can be racism, global warming, police brutality, um, whatever um, issues are near and dear to your heart. And, and it just is supposed to be a conversation starter, and you can talk about it. So thank you for tuning in to part one of this podcast. Um, I don't have the name yet, but um, I'll have that here shortly. And um, please talk to me, ask me questions if you want on social media, uh, Instagram, YouTube. And, um, you know, we'll just try to keep this conversation going. And uh, hopefully we reached some people and made some progress.